Just before I get into my um, talk, and um, thank you to Tristan for doing this last minute for me, um, I wanted to show you a photo. Some of you may not know this story, but it's appropriate um, as it's a dedication this morning. I don't know if you remember last summer, a friend of mine, Catherine, came and spoke, and she spoke very powerfully about um, losing a child and then about trusting God through a very difficult process and not being able to have kids. And I thought you'd like to know, those of you who are here, that this is Charlie, who was born three weeks ago. And um, that's another story. That's another story of God's uh, miraculous hand and his provision. So just for those of you who remember um, Catherine, when she spoke here powerfully last. Um, and, and the point about that is not to say, the point about that is not to say, you know, oh, it'll, it'll come right in the end. There was no guarantee that they would be able to have another child. Um, they had quite a lot of complications and a number of miscarriages. Um, but if you remember, the reason I asked Catherine to come and speak last, last year was because we were talking about trusting God in difficult times. And she was somebody that I knew had walked and was walking that story. And she continued to walk that story. But obviously, we really rejoice that God has answered their prayers. And there's little Charlie. So um, that's exciting news as well. We're talking today about baptism. And you'll see that I've actually opened up the baptistry here today. It hasn't got any water in. So um, there isn't any chance of anybody. Uh, well, I suppose. There might be a miracle, I suppose. But um, uh, we're not planning to baptize anybody today. But I wanted to... Um, open it up anyway, because par- partly because I wanted to explore what this thing is, this baptism thing. We haven't had a baptism service here for quite a little while. And uh, I just kind of wanted to take the time to look at that. You know, churches all over the world look very different. They have different cultures and customs and different ways of praying and different songs that they sing, different clothes that they wear. We spent the last few weeks looking at what it is that makes us as a church distinctive, what it is that the, the vineyard is all about, what those values are, why it is that we do things we do. And in many ways, we are unique, not in any way better than anybody else, but unique in, the, in, in, in terms of what God has given us and what he's called us to do. But also, there are several things and a couple of specific things that we have in common with pretty much every church. Okay, We have these core beliefs about God, the Bible, kingdom, and mission, and how we express our faith. And there are two specific practices, both of which Jesus instructed his disciples, his followers, to do, which despite all of the culture and history that's gone on over the last 2,000 years, haven't really changed very much. One of those is communion which we're not going to celebrate this morning, but we celebrate here regularly, every month or so. Uh, Another word for that is the Lord's Supper. When we remember, we take bread and we take wine or juice and we remember what God did on the cross. Those were standing orders that Jesus gave his disciples. He said, "When, when you do this, remember me. And he also gave standing orders to his disciples about baptism. And we talk about that less, but I wanted to talk about it a bit more today. He Jesus said, these are the specific marks or symbols of someone who is following me. That they remember what I did on the cross, and that when they make a choice to follow me, they get baptised. I want to look at what that's all about this morning. So if you're not used to being around church, if you're not used to following Jesus, if you're exploring faith today, maybe baptism seems like a pretty weird concept to you. Just seems like a bit of a a bath. (laughs) You know, I mean, normally what happens is we fill this pool. Of course, it doesn't have to happen in a pool like this. So I'll let you into a secret in case you didn't know. This used to be a bus garage and this used to be the inspection pit. 
Okay? It got filled in and painted up, and uh, we use it as a baptistry. But I know churches where they baptize people in rivers and in the sea. I heard of somebody who got baptized in the bath once. Um, in our old church, we had a portable baptistry um, that we used to sort of put together. It was like a big version of a bath. And uh, the school that we used to meet in wouldn't let us put it inside the school because they were afraid of the, the floor getting ruined. So we used to put it outside in the, on the grass just outside. So when we got to the actual baptism, but we all had to traipse outside, which was fine in the warm weather. <laughs> um, you know, and we, would, uh, and we would do the baptisms there. So you might think, well, that's a pretty weird thing to do. Why do the... What? what? It's weird enough believing in Jesus... <laughs> And they want me to go for a bath as well, or go for a swim as well, just to show it. Or maybe you've been around church a while, and you think perhaps there's only one way, there's a set way that we do baptisms. We did advertise a baptism service today, and a number of people have talked to me about getting baptised, shown an interest in it, but one or two who were really keen couldn't make this date. So we're not doing the service as such, but I wanted to look at this anyway. And we're going to start off in uh, the book of Romans in the Bible. So if you've got notes... Um, I have actually reproduced this, but it's not at the top of your notes. It's sort of down the bottom a bit. Um, Just to read the first part of Romans chapter 6, you might want to look it up in your Bible. The the one that I've reproduced on here, um, oh, actually, I can show it up on the screen. Can you? Thank you. This is from the message version. This is a more contemporary version of the Bible. And it says this, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Don was, uh, we, we were um, praying before the church today and um, as we prayed, Don um, just said this phrase uh, about him raising us up and it made me think of that song, you raise me up, do you know that song? It's a great song, it's a bit cheesy but it's a great song um, and the words are awesome and, um, and that's kind of what God does for us in baptism, he, we get the privilege of dying with him and then we get the privilege of being raised up with him. And we're going to unpack this passage um, by looking first at another couple of passages. Um, But before we get to that, I just want to look at the origins of the word, the word baptism. Uh, Baptism comes from a Greek word, baptizo, which means to repeatedly dip, to immerse or to submerge. Okay, so the kind of words that we get from that in our language, drench, dip, dunk, douse, deluge, swamp, saturate. These are the kinds of words that we're talking about. It's all down to, the origin of this world is all down to a Greek poet called Nicander. Okay, 2000, no, 200 BC, the Greek poet and physician Nicander was writing something about how to make pickles. Yes, how to make pickles. There you go. Okay, he was writing this recipe for how to make pickles and he used two different words. He says, first of all, The vegetable should be dipped into boiling water. The word he used was bapto. just means dipped in. Okay? And then he says, after that, it should be baptized or baptizo into the vinegar solution. Now, both of those words concern the immersing of vegetables into a solution. But very importantly, the first is temporary. 
a quick dip in. The second produces a permanent change. You dip the vegetable into the vinegar and it will never be the same again. That is where we get the word baptized from. Okay? It's a permanent change. So this is, we are talking about a total change. A transformation. Passing from one state to another state. Anybody here just enjoy pickled onions? Yeah? That, well, that's what we're talking about. That onion is not going back to how it was before once it's been pickled. It's been back, that's where we get the word from. So anyway, we read about John the Baptist in the New Testament. And I've reproduced this passage for you on your sheet from Matthew 3. And it says, In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. I've jumped ahead to verse 5. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea, and the whole region of the Jordan, and they confessed their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming, though, to where he was baptizing, he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And then he kind of, I love this, it's just kind of an instruction. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, John the Baptist preached a message to the people of Israel of repentance and confession of sins. He was basically coming before Jesus to say, are you ready for the Messiah? The Messiah is coming. It's been 400 years. We haven't heard much. I don't think you're ready. In order for us to be ready to meet with Jesus, we need to confess our sins and repent and change our behavior and change the way we are living. This is the, this is the message that John was preaching. And anybody who responded to that message, he said, and so therefore I'm going to baptize you to show that that is a response that you want to make. That you want to change the way you live, that you want to live God's way. And this symbolic act of baptism, is, it's an external and symbolic act, but it's an internal cleansing. Let's get this right. People weren't actually cleaned when they went into the River Jordan. It wasn't a particularly cleansing process physically. Probably quite cold too. <laughs> baptism, but, but baptism isn't about what actually physically happens there. That's symbolic of what's going on inside. Let me give you a different example to try and um, explain this. The baptism is like the celebration of something that's already ongoing. So, um, I've got a picture to show you here. Oh, that's Jesus' baptism. We'll come back to that. Here you go. See, this is our wedding day. July 1995. Coming up 20 years. <laughs> um, this was the day that we, Joe and I, publicly, publicly celebrated the fact that we had come together. This was the day that we legally sort of became a couple. And it's the, it's the public and symbolic celebration of something that, to be honest, was already going on for the two and a half years previously and has continued to go on for the next 20. So this isn't the day that Joe and I met. The day that Joe and I started going out was a couple of years before that. And there's us on... I look very young there, don't I? I'm not quite sure what's happened since. Um, our, relationship, our actual relationship started in March 1993, two and a half years before we got married. Okay? So our wedding was an outward symbolic act 
of a transformation that's already been taking place on the inside. Do you get that? And it's the same with baptism. Baptism is an outward symbolic act of a transformation that's already taking place on the inside. Okay? The change happened first the day that we said yes to Jesus. The day that we said yes to Jesus, a change went on in our heart. And the day that we get baptized, okay, is a symbolic and public act of what Jesus has already done. And John, you'll see in that passage, you know when he says to the the religious leaders at the end, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Basically, he was looking for evidence of change in their lives before he was ready to baptise them. He was pretty full on, John. He wasn't afraid to have a go at the authorities. It kind of cost him his life in the end. Um, He was looking for evidence of changed hearts. He was looking for evidence of changed lives. And John knew, of course, that when Jesus stepped up to get baptised, that Jesus was at the start of his ministry, Jesus was baptised to fulfill all confession, sorry, to fulfill all righteousness and to take the act of confession and repentance further on. So Jesus identifies with all of the other people. He identifies with all of the other people who are getting baptised. He's a humble, he's a humble guy. And by, he, 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 I think it was really significant that Jesus got baptised. He wasn't there saying, I'm a revolutionary political leader. He was just there to identify humbly with all of the other people who were trying to follow God. But he took it further because obviously a confession of sin and repentance is for him just the start. And his message, Jesus took baptism and he took it on through his life to a message of brand new life in God. Life in God. And as Jesus preached that same message, his followers continued to baptise people. Interesting, we don't really read about Jesus baptising people, but we read about his followers baptising people. And I've given you four examples there of baptism in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. So in the story of Jesus and the story of the early church, John 5 there, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. So this baptism thing is something that Jesus took on from John and took into his own ministry Okay, and says, if you're going to see a life change, okay, then you kind of seal it with this symbolic act. Matthew 28, Jesus says, very famous, very famous passage. We quote it all the time. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is Jesus giving instructions to his followers. Make disciples. What's the next thing he says? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So for Jesus, the act of baptism was really clearly part of making disciples. Then Acts 2, we read, this is Peter's big speech to the church at Pentecost. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Okay, they, they they come to Peter, he's preaching away, they say, what should we do? He says, well, what you've got to do is you've got to repent and you've got to be baptised. So it's right there. It's right there. And then the other example is from the life of Saul, or who became Paul, uh, in Acts 9. It says, as soon as um, you remember the story that Saul 
had an amazing encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus and was blinded and went to, uh, went to kind of recover and chill out for two or three days. And when um, Ananias, who was just a guy that God sent along to talk to Paul and to help him figure out what had gone on, came and he explained to him, this is what's happened, you've met Jesus, you need to change your life now. And uh, immediately it says that something like scales fell from his eyes, he could see again. The next thing he does, he gets up and he's baptised. Now, there's no, we don't know where Paul was baptized. There's no suggestion that it was some big public occasion or big public event. But it's important that it was in there. Because the baptism is a really important part of it. It's an essential part of the journey of faith. And it's an essential part of following Jesus. This is what Jesus, these are the instructions that he left his followers. I wonder why it was that Jesus was so clear in his direction about baptism. Why, why, why was he so full on about it? Okay, Jesus, yeah, whatever. Yeah, baptism. I think one of the reasons is, probably the main reason is because of the spiritual significance of what baptism really is. And Jesus wants us to remember this. The physical act with baptism will stay with us to help us remember the spiritual significance of what Jesus has done for us. So I can remember, I was about 16 when I got baptised. I remember that day, I remember who uh, baptised me. It, it's a, it's, I remember going down in the water and coming up, and it reminds me every day, or every time I think about it, about what it is that Jesus did for me. What does that look like? Well, if you look in um, Romans, I haven't reproduced this verse for you, but it's a pretty well-known verse in Romans chapter 3. Verse 23, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We've actually sung that this morning. In that song you led us, my soul cries out holy. You've paid the price. We sang that, that we sang those words this morning because what Jesus did on the cross was done for us. Here's the message version of the same passage. I love it. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly capable, incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, because God did it for us, out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. You see, all of us have sinned. That's what the Bible says. None of us, none of us make it up to God's standard. And when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the punishment for our sins. He paid the punishment for our sins. Now, <clears throat> I don't know how many of you have ever been caught speeding by the police. Anybody want to own up? I have, certainly. Sure. Uh, when you get caught speeding, it's like you've sinned. You've fallen short of the standard that's required by law. And in order to get right with the authorities, well, nowadays you've got a couple of options, haven't you? It used to be that you just had to pay the money. Anybody been on a speed awareness course? Anybody, anybody been on two? <laughs> Sorry. 
I've been on two in two different um, parts of the country. However, I don't have any more endorsements on my license, so that's good. Um, You have to do something to get right with the authorities. A punishment or a consequence has to take place. Now, I couldn't do that with God because there's just too much. There's no way that I would ever make the standard that God's looking for. I've just messed up so many times in my life. And therefore, Jesus stepped in and did it for me. We don't earn that justification. It's a gift of God's grace. There's nothing we can do to get right with God, except just to accept the free gift of life that he offers us. And God goes further than that even. Not only are we justified by him, not only are we sorted, but we're also reconciled and adopted and we're part of the family. As we sang... You've paid the price, and now I am finally free. Those are the words we sang in that fantastic song this morning. Let's look at this passage again. It's at the bottom of your sheet and over onto the next page. Romans 6. This is the same one I read at the beginning. What shall we do then? Shall we keep on sinning so that God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? This is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. And when we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace. New life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we're lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. And when we're raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Paul continues, could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life. No longer at sin's every beck and call, what we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. Don't you want to stand up and cheer? I mean, that's awesome, isn't it? That's awesome. Just back to the first part, the first, the very first opening line of that uh, passage from Paul. Just that we, just he's answering a specific question because some people used to think, well, if we're sinners. And God loves us and he can forgive us. Then surely we just keep on sinning so that he can keep loving us and showing us forgiveness. To which Paul says, get a life. (laughs) No, that's not it. I hope not. Let me explain it to you in a bit more detail. We don't turn away from sin. Sorry, we turn away from sin. We move to a different place. We take on a new identity. And the act of baptism is where we identify with Jesus' death and his burial, and his resurrection. See, Jesus defeated sin and death when he rose. He defeated the enemy. And baptism is a symbolic 
expression of that. It's a death. Baptism is a death. It's a death to our old life. It's a death. Let me try and explain this by way of a practical example. You see, my old life, okay, is full of lies. Can you see that? I've got a few stickers here. You know, it may be the stuff that I did that dragged me down, or it may be the stuff that other people did to me. It's full of pain, okay? You see, the life I lived before Jesus was subject to anger, maybe my own, maybe other people's. And these are just examples. You can substitute your own illustrations here. What does that one say? Put downs, subject to people saying stuff about me. See, my old life was full of shame. Can you see that? And maybe full of uh, greed. This is the kind of stuff that we get into. Maybe even I was subject to abuse. Or, well, I've just written rubbish here, which kind of covers everything else. Okay? This is my old life. Okay? This is what happens... When I'm not walking with Jesus, this stuff comes onto me. I carry it around with me. It it affects who I am. It affects my identity, what I believe about myself, what I say about myself, what I perceive about myself, what other people are saying about me. And yet, what happens in baptism is that this old life goes right down into the pit and identifies with the work of Jesus, okay? So here I am, right down in here, identifying with his burial. And when I come up again, guess what? It's gone. The day I got baptized, my old life was buried in there forever. Buried in there forever. And I walked into a new life. Now, that didn't happen overnight. I've been learning ever since. But baptism is our symbolic deliverance from the power of the enemy and the symbolic walking into the freedom that Jesus brings. There's echoes there from... uh, It really echoes the, the, the story of the exodus of God's people when they walked out of slavery. Let's move on. Here's, we've, you've probably seen this before. Brian put this together some time ago. This is the kind of journey that we're talking about. This is the journey that Jesus had, and it's the journey that we have. We were created. We were born of the Spirit. This is our Christian journey. We died with Christ. We were buried with Christ, and we were raised with him. And the Bible says we're ascended with him and filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's where we live now. Okay? And the act of baptism, oh, I've gone. Sorry, you can't see the guy in there, but you can in your, the one on your sheet. That's where baptism is. That's where we identify with Christ's death. There's a quote there from a guy called David Pawson. I love it. He says, a lot of Christians wouldn't need a ministry of deliverance if they saw what their baptism had done. 
Just as Pharaoh's troops were drowned in the waters of the Red Sea, so are Satan's demons drowned in the waters of baptism, and sin has no more dominion over you. There's no more power. Sin can't do that to you. It's been drowned in the waters of baptism. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what's down there? I mean, all of that stuff, symbolically. Let me give you a different illustration. Someone called Tom Wright. Oh, you've, you've heard him, haven't you? We had, his, um, we had his videos. This is what he says. A well-known illustration makes this point exactly. One, though, which, though I've known it for a long time, this is Tom Wright writing, has just recently been echoed in real life for someone I know. Imagine, he says, renting a house from a landlord who turns out to be a bully, always demanding extra payments, coming into the house without asking, threatening you with legal action or violence if you don't give in to his demands. You get used to doing what he says out of fear. There doesn't seem to be any way out. But then to your relief, you find somewhere else to live. Someone else pays off your remaining rent and you can leave. You move out and settle into the new place. But to your horror, a few days later, the old landlord shows up at the door and barges into the house. He's angry. He demands more money. He threatens to take you to court. The old habits return. You're strongly tempted to pay him what he demands just to get him to leave. But you know that actually you're not his tenant anymore. You've seen the paperwork. His final bill was paid. Nothing more is owing. So trembling, you get up and tell him to leave because he has no claim over you. Depending on how unpleasant a character the landlord is, you may or may not have to call the police. But Paul's appeal in verse 11 is exactly like that. Remind yourself of the paperwork, he says. Remember who you really are. Don't give in to the voices that tell you that you are still in Adam after all and should be behaving just like you used to. Resisting temptation isn't a matter of pretending you wouldn't find it easier to give in. It's a matter of learning to think straight and acting on what you know to be true. So baptism is the act of burying the old life and being raised up with Jesus into the new life. Now I can hear the question. The question maybe that some of you are thinking is, okay, so if that's true, why isn't my life glorious and completely free of sin and temptation? I mean, surely if I got baptized when I was 16, I should have just been sort of living on a cloud ever since then. Why is it that we continue to struggle with sin? That's a big question, but just a couple of short ideas about that. Firstly, on a macro level, there's a tension that we live in of the kingdom of God not being yet fully realized. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Parts of our world still being under control of the enemy and us having to fight those battles. But on a personal level, you see, baptism symbolizes that our very nature and identity has changed But as we start to live out of that, we have to sort of change our practices in line with who we've become and who we are now. So going back to my wedding analogy, you know, Joe and I didn't stop growing together the minute we got married 20 years ago. 
we continued to grow in our relationship and become one together over the last 20 years. That's been a journey for us. And after nearly 20 years, we're still working it out. There's a continued and ongoing transformation that happens, and it's the same with our relationship with God. Following Jesus is an everyday decision. You know, we used to, uh, when I used to teach kids um, in, uh, in uh, my old church, taught them for many years, and we used to have this big thing about getting kids to make a decision to follow Jesus. Well, some people said that. And I said, you know what? You have to make a decision to follow Jesus every single day. I mean, it's important when you make that decision for the first time, but it's actually an everyday deal. Getting rid of the labels, not putting the hoodie on again, saying no to the landlord, that's a decision that we have to continue to make every day. Sometimes it's easier, sometimes it's harder. So although our physical baptism helps us remember what God's done for us, in many ways... It's almost like perhaps we need to be baptised every day. Or at least perhaps just live in the light of our baptism. We need to live in the light of what God has done for us every single day. Which means making tough decisions. Which means not giving in to temptation. Now I know how hard that is. Jesus does say, I wouldn't ask you to do it unless I'd been there first. And giving you the strength to do it and the grace to do it. So what's our response this morning? What's our response to this this morning? It may be that some of you are here listening to all this and you haven't been baptised. And you have made a decision to follow Jesus in your life, but you haven't yet been baptised. Now, I'm not going to twist your arm, but I would gently encourage you, challenge you maybe, to ask the Lord about this. We would love to baptise you if you haven't been baptised. And if that's where you're at. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus. If you know that he's your Lord and Saviour and you know that that's the way you want to live. Then I would love to fill this pool up. Not today, but another day. Not far from here. And we would love to do that and help, and, and help you make that public declaration. So if that's you... Come and speak to me afterwards. I'd just love to take some details and we'll talk some more. It may be that actually you're not even at that process and you're just thinking, well, I just want to know a bit more about this Jesus and what he's done. I want to know more about that thing that you're talking about, him dying on the cross for me and saving me and taking away all my sin. Oh boy, would we love to talk to you about that today. If you're on a journey of discovery, if you're looking for something, if you're looking for faith, If you want to know a bit more about what Jesus has done for you, if you want to come to a place where you just want to say, yes, I want to be, I want to follow him. We'd love to pray with you and just help you with that. Or it may be that you are a person of faith and you have already been baptised. I'm not going to ask you to do it again. Okay? I'm not going to ask you to do it again. But it may be that you struggle to actually live in the light of the truth of what happened when you were baptised. It may be that that was something that happened a long time ago and we've kind of forgotten about what that really means for us. And today I would love to give us an opportunity just to kind of acknowledge that and perhaps to to symbolically reaffirm 
our faith. So in just a couple of minutes, we're going to have some time to reflect and to, and to pray. And um, Brian and Hilary and Dominic Hall have got some, just some water here. And uh, if this is where you're at, and again, there's no pressure, it may be, you'll, you'll know. Just ask the Holy Spirit, he'll show you. You'll know whether you should do this or not. <clears throat> but it may be that you want to sort of respond and come forward and just they'll, what they'll do is they'll simply pray a blessing on you and they'll make a sign of a cross on your forehead with some water. It's a symbolic way of just saying, I'm choosing to live in the light, in the truth of the baptism that I've already been through because of what God's doing in my life. Now, it may be that that could be a real symbolic and special response for you today. Don't just make it for fun. <laughs> Ask the Holy Spirit. And we'd love just to give people a chance to respond to that today. Just to kind of reaffirm the faith in Jesus, the decision we made then and the symbolic act of dying with him and being raised with him. And if that's where you're at, we'd love to give you the opportunity to do that. And we'll also just pray about anything else. But should we, should we stand together? Let's just stand together. So, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. You're here already. We thank you for the work that you're already doing here. And now I particularly want to ask, Spirit, that you would rest on us and with us and speak to us. And show us how it is that you want us to respond today. Show us how you want us to respond to you today. To your word, to your love. We welcome your presence, Holy Spirit, and we thank you. We just bless you. We bless you. Let's just wait for a minute. Now, Lord, would you take the words that I've spoken and make them a reality in our hearts, the ones that are from you, the ones that you want to emphasize. Lord, whatever you're saying to each of us today, or whatever you're saying, may that be a process of your spirit working in our hearts. Now the Holy Spirit is here and he's at work in us and he's doing stuff. So there's no rush. There's no rush to respond. Um, I was on the edge of a cliff and the cliff was crumbling and I was trying to scrabble up onto, back onto the solid land and I wasn't looking behind me and all the ground was just disappearing and I was just really scared and it felt like my whole life was crumbling into the sea and then I declared that I was stood on the solid ground of Jesus Christ and the, and I was, and the ground underneath me became firm and I just turned round and looked out to sea and just all of creation and how much God loves us and I just stood firmly in God's love. But it was my choice. Thank you. Yeah, I think maybe that picture will just resonate with some of us. So Lord is doing different things. And I want to give us an opportunity to respond. Now it may be that there's another response. It may be that the Lord is speaking to you and you need to go and do something or go home. But if you would like to um, just... Reaffirm your faith in the way that I described earlier. It's very, very simply just 
nothing, nothing weird or magical about it, but just a symbolic act of just taking the water and putting a cross on your forehead. And if that's something that you want to do, it might, it's not for everybody, but it may be for some of us today. If you want to do that, these guys are going to be just lined up down here. Just come, and they'll do that for you, and they'll just pray a blessing on you. It might take a few minutes if there are a lot of us. The band will play as well. It may be that we just want to sit quietly in the Lord's presence. If you want to specifically talk about being baptized, come and speak to me, um, either now or later on after church. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. So yeah, just start to come, guys. Start to come. If that's where you're at, if that's what the Lord, if that's your way of responding to what the Lord's doing today, then feel free to just come. Just you might have, you may have to queue for a few minutes, but we've got three or four minutes before we have to collect the kids anyway. So, and the rest of us, if you know, if that's not where you're at. Just turn your heart back onto Jesus and just continue to worship him. Just continue to worship him. So Holy Spirit, we just bless what you're doing here. And there are some for whom that picture that Juliet described, that whole scrambling, just, you feel like you're just clinging on. And if that's where you're at, we'd love to pray with you today.